0: Your hour of Thrive
1: Time begins now with your host, Jay Mamie, on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and you have now entered your hour of Thrive Time. Welcome once again, my friends, to a value-packed, action-stoking, thought-provoking show that will be full of incredible insight today, as my two guests are going to really share with you Not only their specialty, but what makes them so impacting in this world today based on the work they're doing. My featured guest today is none other than Jim Cantrell. Jim Cantrell is a renowned genius legend in the world of aerial space in the world of uh, uh, transportation technology, in the space industry. He's the co-founder of Phantom Space Corporation. He was also one of the lead engineers for SpaceX, working alongside of Elon Musk. And he's also the brand-new author of his book. We're going to have a chance to chat with him today in just a short little while. I'm looking forward to speaking with Jim Cantrell. But before we do that, I always appreciate those that are making impact in the lives of others in a nonprofit format. So with me as the Impact Spotlight today is not only CEO and founder of Point Blank Safety Services, but she's also the founder of Blue Family Fund. She's also an author. She's been on our show before, and I'm excited to hear what she's doing to help uh, really impact the lives of first responders and families that are dependent on first responders and those who have fallen uh, uh, in, in the work of law enforcement impacting work. Stacy McGovern, welcome to the J. Mamie Talk Show.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Well, I'm excited that you're here because people that usually are part of the Impact Spotlight are here because they're doing something that is influencing, impacting the lives of others. So I want you to sort of walk us through what inspired you to really begin the family Ah, uh, the Blue Family Fund. What was the 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 mission and the drive behind you and your husband? Right, it's something that it's an initiative absolutely you and your absolutely. husband started. Mm-hmm. So, what was the thought pattern behind that?
0: Well, we've been very successful in our for-profit business that you know about, uh, Point Blank Safety Services, mm-hmm. and because of that success, um, and we employ over two hundred police officers that work for us in their off-duty time. Mm-hmm. So, because of that success, you know, back in 2017, my husband and I looked at each other and we just said, you know, how can we pay this forward? How can we give back? You know, of course we can go buy the big house and the fancy car or whatever, but we wanted to do something to kind of pay it forward, if you mm-hmm. will. So we looked around um, and we, we researched a ton of different charities and um, just came to realize that, you know, in the long run, very little of your money, when you donate to some of the, the big charities, very little actually goes to the because mm-hmm. And um, that's just not how we wanted to do it. We wanted you to, you know, we work hard for our money. Everybody works hard for their money. So we wanted you to feel like when you give to a charity that you're really making an impact, whether that be $5 or $5,000. Mm-hmm. And so we said, hey, we started a company. Let's let's start a nonprofit. profit can't be that hard. Right. <laughs> right. right. Come to uh, find out. Right. <laughs> right. In, in my free time, you right. know, at 3 a.m.
1: But um. so
0: anyway, we, we did. We founded Blue Family Fund, a 501c3 in the state of Texas in 2017. And um, my husband and I personally pay all the expenses for the nonprofit. Wow. So ourselves. And we take no salaries. So literally every single dollar that's donated goes to a family of a first responder that's either been fallen or injured in the line of duty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so in our, in our five years, we've given out about five scholarships to Excellent. dependents of uh, first responders that want to further their education, and we've helped about 17 families.
1: Incredible. How is it that you, you know, first responders sometimes are overlooked, right? You know, especially with all the statistics, you just don't have to go very far on the Internet or online to find people that uh, are either retired law enforcement, currently active law enforcement or military person, that they take their lives. Why do you think that is happening as much as it is happening today, and why isn't there a greater outcry of the public to really get behind these initiatives to support these these incredible individuals?
0: Well, I think the media has portrayed a, a um, untrue, um, you know, picture of mm-hmm. how things really are. Because when you're really deep in the first responder communities like we are, and, and the 200 officers that work for us, um, there are a ton of of people that still support first responders and police. I just feel like the media takes the negative stories um, and kind of promotes them more than the, the other. Um, So it's, I think it's a lot media, but when you really get down to talking to people, there's, there's a ton of people that still really back first responders and believe in what they do. And, and I mean, it's truly a life of service. Mm -hmm. You know, I I joke and say, you know, my husband was born to be a cop because I, I can't think of anything else that, mm-hmm. that would fit him right. right and i'm sort of born that that salesperson so it's just kind of an inherent thing when when you do serve like all the first responders do they you know they're it's truly their calling right you now and then what a lot of people don't know is in the state of texas a lot of these small departments i mean these guys make nothing right i mean they really are I'm doing trying. it for the love of what they do which um you know is the reason why we do what we do
1: Well, they have a commitment to serve, right? Absolutely. And and what most people don't understand, my family is all from military and law enforcement as well, and I think what most people don't understand is that when you have a servant's heart, right, typically you'll do, you'll put your, your, your life in harm's way, not because of profit, not because of a high salary, not because you want to monetize it and live the lifestyle. You just, you want to save lives more than anything. Right. And I think that as a society, one of the things we need to do is to not only get behind them while they're here, but then really get behind them when they're not, especially when they've fallen, uh, you know, in the line of duty um, or they've taken their own lives just because of the stress is too high. You mentioned that your husband is, is uh, on the job. Is he still uh, in well, law enforcement?
0: Yes. He he holds his um, commission at Shackleford County. He's a sheriff deputy. OK, um, but then he works for Point Blank, our company, pretty much full time. Okay. You know, reserve officers um, kind of volunteer their time with the department mm-hmm. to hold their commission um, and he, you know, of course, still has to be a police officer, but, um, you know, Point Blank has grown so large that he really needs to devote the majority of his time to that.
1: I know that Point Blank is doing really, really well. I, I, you were just featured on a, a recent magazine, which is yeah. excellent, right? Yeah. So that's that's amazing. That's why it, when you founded a, a nonprofit, like as you just joked a little while ago at 3 o'clock in the morning, I mean, <laughs> right. really, right? It, it, you, you've, you have an author, you've got a family, you've got things happening, and yet you still found the time to begin this initiative, you and your husband to help others, which is fabulous, which is why you're here. But where does Point Blank fall into all of this, and how did Point Blank get started? Because I know that's your that's your baby.
0: Yeah. Well, none of this would be possible without Point Blank right. Safety, right. and so it got started just as the wife of a police officer. Um, my husband's worked for some really small departments, and you know, we just he just didn't make much money, mm-hmm. and so I learned very quickly as a police wife that. Um, Police officers, at least in Texas, really rely on off-duty work to sort of make ends meet Mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe get a vacation or pay for braces or any of those unexpected expenses that come up in life. And, um, you know, it was really random. Like he would get off of a 12-hour shift and then we get a call. They wanted him for off-duty work. And it's like, well, gosh, if we had just known in advance, you know, we could have planned the birthday party for another day or we could have, you know, rearranged. And I just I thought to myself, you know, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way where these officers can get as much or as little off-duty work as they want, um, and know in advance when they're going to work, and and more importantly, when they're going to be paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so just uh, from that, from you know, being a police wife and having the idea, um, people people say that you know she got lucky, you know all these different things, but what they don't realize, is I literally worked for two solid years raising a family, married to a police officer that was never home literally an idea and a business card. I still had a full-time job mm-hmm. and I was, you know, in my spare time hustling to make, to get leverage on this idea that I had of, sure. um, you know, a better way for the police to get their, their off-duty work. And so, you know, two years, and, and there's so many times Jay during that two years that I'm just like, Oh, is this really worth it? I'm right. missing so much with my kids. I'm, right. You know, you know, but I, I really believed in it and mm-hmm. I believed in myself and mm-hmm. I really thought we could make it work. So long story short, September of 2014, I was in my um, bathroom getting ready for work like any other day, putting on my makeup, the doorbell rings, true story. I go to the door and it's FedEx and they have a package for point blank safety. What? Point blank Mm -hmm. safety didn't get packages. It was a business card (laughs) and an idea and me going door to door. Like what? What? And it was a $1.5 million contract wow. to use point blank safety officers on the managed lane project where they're adding a lane from on 35E from Dallas mm-hmm. to Denton. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Amazing. it happened.
1: <laughs> you know, when you're called to do something, right? That's why you you were for two years, you're handing out a business card. You're kind of doubting whether or not this is going to take off, but you kept going, kept going. People don't understand when you have a calling, when you're given an assignment, you know, sometimes rationale and reason won't explain why you know you you have to keep going because when you look around, there's no visible sign of success, right? In fact, if you look at all the evidence, it points in the direction of you quitting, right? Right. But you just kept going because that's an assignment. That's a calling. You've got to keep going. And in the end, if you are faithful to that and you stay to the course, you realize that uh, all along you were guided in a way that when those doors became uh, available for you to walk through and you did blessing not only for you come but all of those people you've impacted already right. it's amazing right i right? changed
0: my life i changed my kids lives i changed hundreds of officers lives incredible um yeah and and you know there's so many people along the way um that you know don't believe in you or don't believe in the idea mm-hmm. or that'll never work and and you really have to push forward and block those people i'm right. not saying get them out of your life you still talk to them, but don't talk to them about the business. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to them about the thing you're pushing through on. That's right. Um, because that negativity will get in, and uh, and you know, also, so many people give up right before it breaks. That's
1: right.
0: Um And I just wasn't going to do that. I I just really thought I could do it, and really thought I could make yeah. it happen.
1: I always tell people, your assignment is nobody else's business. Right. It's 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 for you. Right. Right. And whether they understand or not. It doesn't matter. It right. wasn't meant for them. It was meant for you. And our last two minutes here, so someone donates to the Blue Family Fund. What happens next? And what type of services are you going to provide to those that they're donating to your program for?
0: Well, we have an application on our website, bluefamilyfund.org, for scholarships. Mm-hmm. For any um, uh, dependents of uh, first responders that want to further their education, they can fill out an application. So a lot of those dollars are going to go to scholarships. And then um, we also... You know, being right in the middle of 200 police officers, um, we hear immediately of fallen officers, injured officers, um, people that have left, you know, been fallen, left behind, little children, all those sort of things. So we immediately get the board together and decide, you know, where those funds could be um, most utilized, who who needs them more. You know, like you were saying, sometimes a story maybe doesn't hit the news, and then maybe this other story really does. Right. So, you know, so we try to really look for those those families that didn't get the attention or the mm-hmm. help that, that we feel that they sh- they should have. And, you know, sometimes in the, in the line of duty, there's a payout that may come for the officer family, but Jay, it may be nine months before that happens. Right. So we sort of kind of can be that bridge okay. to get them through.
1: Where can people go to donate?
0: Bluefamilyfund.org mm-hmm. and you can set up a recurring donation. Okay. You can do a one-time donation. Uh, we also have, uh, a casino night coming up in February. Excellent. We're looking for sponsors. Um, yeah. So everything's on our website, bluefamilyfund.org.
1: BluefamilyFund.org. It's been fabulous having you again, Stacy. Next time we come back, we're gonna have to chat more about your book and and continuing the progress and development of this incredible nonprofit. That's why you're here today as the Impact Spotlight. Folks, we're gonna come back Thank right you. after the break with Jim Cantrell. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Jay Mamie from the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I just want you to know that my book, my 10th book is finally available. Thrivology, action stoking and thought provoking quotes and phrases is now available for your purchasing pleasure. This book has already making tidal waves among those who appreciate content that is driven to give you a thrive minded mentality and also reminders throughout the course of the week of the things you need to do to thrive. Guys, you can pick up my book, Thrivology at the JManey.com. Are you looking to build a dynamic workplace culture that keeps your employees not only retained, but also engaged and empowered to help your business thrive? Discover the secret that many companies in the community have already unlocked, Collin Corporate College. With hundreds of the highest quality, affordable educational programs available and customized to your desired business outcomes, your success is Collin Corporate College's business. Call them at 972-599-3110. That's 972 972- 599 Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I have been looking forward to having a conversation with Jim Cantrell. I mentioned in the opening segment uh, he is one of the top uh, scientists and premier engineers in space travel, and, and I don't want to rehash Uh, The intro that we did earlier, but I'm excited about talking with someone who really has their finger on the future of space travel, and that's just to scratch the surface. So, Jim Cantrell, welcome to the J. Mamie Talk Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Jim, I, I, before we dive into the the genius and the goodness of what we're going to dive, uh, what we're going to talk about here, I, I've got to ask a few couple a few questions. And my my first one is, how do you balance rocket ship and satellite development and research, a company racing cars, and then a family <laughs> with six kids?
3: <laughs> well, brother, how do you do I, I, it? I can, I can tell you that the the rockets and the and the race cars are almost the same thing, so. Uh, <laughs> doesn't take a change of mind but the six kids that's a whole other set of emotional challenges let me tell you some some are, are good some are bad and some are somewhere in between
1: you know when you had mentioned uh, as i was getting a chance to know you and you mentioned you have six kids i thought myself the man is busy as in, as it is uh but I, I i have to say though i have to say as a father myself i have to say that you probably would agree that deciphering And trying to figure out kids is a lot harder than trying to figure out how to put a rocket in space.
3: (laughs) Oh, by far. By far, yeah. So parents of America know that uh, your job as parents is much harder than anything any of us ever do out there uh, in the space industry, for sure.
1: Absolutely, brother. Well, you know, you yourself as a kid, you were very imaginative. You were curious and you were always building but yeah. you you felt an uneasiness about your place within it. I've heard you say that. Uh, can yeah. you explain that? And 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 how has that shaped who you are today?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up on a, uh, a chicken ranch in this place called Ukiah, California, up in the mountains of Southern California. And, you know, it was a poor blue collar family, mm-hmm. and uh, two nickels to rubbed together. We didn't have. And uh, as I you know grew up, I like you say, I was curious. I was tearing things apart. My mother would come home to torn up bathroom scales. My dad would find his his lawnmower torn apart and turned into a (laughs) go-kart and things like that. And, you know, given the scarcity of things, that didn't go over too well with my dad particularly. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the rest of my relatives kind of thought I was an alien being because they didn't understand this stuff. You know, they were, you know, worked for the railroads or, you know, carpentry or whatever. And, uh, you know, a kid that wastefully destroys things because he's curious was was not – Good. And, and, you know, as I as I got further along, you know, and, and really fell off into this world of reading books and figuring out how to do things by reading books, and I was no longer a part of that world. And the, and the blue-collar world didn't understand me. And the white-collar world that I was sort of becoming a part of, reluctantly, on my side, didn't accept me because, you know, there's still a class system in this country. And, uh, you know, you, you're either a blue blood or you're not. And I certainly... Was not. I was the first person in my entire family to go to university and get a degree, and uh, acceptance was not an easy thing to find there. So, yeah, I just always felt between those two worlds, yeah. and still to this day, uh, you know, I'd rather hang out with the technicians back on the factory floor than you know, a lot of the engineers. I love them both, but you know, I just feel more comfortable around the people that uh, get their hands dirty. So, it's 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 been a lifelong sort of uh, struggle and recognition, and you know anybody that's gone up through the ranks of of going from blue collar to white collar understands exactly what I'm talking about
1: you know i think that if you have uh, as whether it's a, a young person or a young adult or, or even as an adult I think it's easy to find yourself in a place where you feel uneasy, like you don't belong. That There's something else you're supposed to be doing. There's something more to your life than what your surroundings are. I think that's something that has to be fostered and investigated and exploited because there could be goodness in you that you are handicapping the world from because you're not pursuing that, that sense of uneasiness. Would you agree with that?
3: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people really have this. They just aren't in touch with themselves enough to understand what it is. You know, my kids and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people I know ask me, you know, how, how do you how do you become successful? The answer is really simple. It's it's find something you're passionate about, that you're good at, that people want to buy, and the money happens. Right, and that, that's how, that's how we define success in our society, by the way. But but uh, it's that passion and being in touch with that passion. And you know, going back to my kids, that's that's the challenge I have is to help my children find their passion. And uh, none of them are in engineering, by the way. Uh, Mm. None of them have chosen that path. A few of them have chosen to follow me into racing, which is great. But, you know, everybody has their unique individual passions. And, uh, you know, society is a fabric woven of many different people and many different capabilities. And so it's important that we all understand, you know, what it is that really gets us up during the day. We'd be a much, much more functional society if everybody – was truly in touch with what they love to do and was really able to do it. And I, I know that's somewhat utopian, but really, I mean, think of how much less Xanax people have to take and mm-hmm. how many less murders would happen, how much less alcohol and drug abuse would happen. You know, people were just, you know, jazzed to get up in the morning, and go do what they do. You know, drugs, are the last thing I think about, let me tell you what, mm-hmm. because I, I got a lot of stuff ahead of me during the day that I want to do. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I totally agree with you. When you pursue your passion, your passion is going to reveal your purpose, and if you focus on that, profits will follow. I think that's a simple formula Absolutely. for life, right?
3: I'm sure you're passionate about radio shows. Absolutely. I can hear it in your voice. And Absolutely. That's, that's why you're successful.
1: I appreciate that, brother. Hey, so let's fast forward now. Let's fast forward to a watershed moment. I'm a big believer that watershed moments are critical in our in our existence and creating our life's resume, a phone call you had you, back in July two thousand and one, you get a phone call. I'll let you pick it up from there.
3: Right. Yeah, so I'm driving home uh from work. It's early on a Friday afternoon. I decided to play hooky and get out early. And a beautiful beautiful day in the Rocky Mountains, I had the top down on the car and uh phone rings and this was this was two thousand and one, so you know, we didn't have Apple iPhones then, it was a Motorola StarTac, and I look at it and it's a Palo Alto, California area code. Having lived there, I thought, well, maybe it was somebody I knew, and so I answered it. And it was a very strange-sounding accent hmm. I couldn't quite place. I, I, uh, I'm not an expert in the the accents of the colonies, but this one wasn't quite Australian, wasn't quite English. And it was a guy who identified himself as Ian Musk, you know, so, so I thought. And uh, he was uh, going on about you know humanity becoming a multiplanetary species and so on. So I, you know, I, I stopped him. I said, "Look, I, I can hardly hear you. I've got the top down." I'll call you when I get home. It was about 10 minutes from home. So he agreed. And so when I got home, I went into my library to call him back. Uh, I called him back and I got a fax machine. And uh, this fax machine, uh, you know, it, 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 if you're too young, you know what those sound right, like. They're very right. irritating squeal over the mm-hmm. line. So I hung up and I said, all right. You know, he he'd said he was an internet billionaire. And I, I thought, okay, an internet billionaire with a fax machine, you know, so sort this of started to. Sound a little, little suspicious. Mm-hmm. So about twenty minutes later, I get another phone call from, also say, Mary, a different number, and it, it's it's Ian again, and uh, he he wants me to, you know, explain why I didn't call it back, and so I did, and he's oh, okay, this is my cell phone, and so on. Turned out it was Elon Musk, and I'd heard him, and uh, he had this thing called PayPal that I'd never heard of before, and it was a funny sounding name to me. And he, he was calling me because he was looking for somebody to help him buy Russian launch vehicles to send a mission to Mars that he wanted to fund himself. And uh, so we talked, and uh, he gave the same speech then to me about humanity becoming a multiplanetary species that you hear him talk about now every day. So mm-hmm. he, he hasn't changed a word in that in you know 21 years. So <clears throat> he, he wanted to come see me the next day on Saturday – Fly in and come to my house, and I'm like, no way. You know, <laughs> I, I just, I'd spent uh, years in Russia, and I, you know, I just my personal security was was something I was a little more than uh, paranoid about. So I, I, I lied and said hey, I'm not available on Saturday, but uh, you know, I have to fly out of Salt Lake City uh, uh, on on uh, Sunday on commercial. And this was pre 9 11, so you could all go behind the uh, security without a without a plane ticket. So I knew that he could fly in there and that he'd have to go through metal detectors, so he couldn't pack a weapon and I'd have police nearby. So, so I was pragmatic about that. And we, we met in a, uh, Delta crown room conference room. And, uh, that, that was, uh, when he began to explain the whole details of this, uh, idea of sending, sending uh, mice to Mars. Originally, we, we eventually uh, came up with a, a plant growth chamber and landed on Mars, but that's what eventually led to SpaceX. And, uh, it was, it was going to Russia, and trying to buy those launch vehicles later in the year, that uh, led, led to the Russians, you know, telling him no in, in more colorful ways than that. But they mm-hmm. uh, they, they refused him, and uh, he went and started a company that eventually put them out of the commercial launch business. So it's one of those uh, one of those turning points in history. That at the time seemed like a rather mundane sort of phone call that you might have.
1: Now, now you're being very kind with how the Russians uh, decided not to do business with you guys. They actually spit on your shoes. Isn't that true?
3: Yeah, one one of the visits uh, to Machine Stroya, who built what they called the Strela mm-hmm. uh, launcher, it was a converted ICBM, really meant to destroy our cities, uh, but they converted to launch satellites. Um, you know, we went there, and it was kind of like a a prison bunker. You know, the, the the design bureau where we went to, and the chief designer who the best described as sort of the equivalent of the startup CEO in the modern America. Uh, back in the Soviet system. You know, they put the technical people in charge of the design bureaus. And he was very um, he was very irritated by the idea that we would dare use his uh, his weapon of war as uh, something as a play toy for a billionaire. That that was his attitude. And uh, uh, as as Elon was telling him about, you know, humanity becoming a multi-planetary species and all this. And mind you, he's a 20 something kid in this guy's eyes. And he's mm-hmm. dressed poorly because I, and I tried to tell Elon, you know, look. Russians are, are are very age sensitive, and being a young guy, you at least need to dress well. And he, he refused, and he wore his t-shirts and you know <laughs> trousers. At and anyway, and, you know I was at least in a tie and suit. But uh, yeah, he, he he looked at us and spit on our shoes, you know. And Elon turned to me and said, "I think he spit on us." <laughs> yeah, he did. Hmm. It's a sign of disrespect. So that's when the meeting was over. You know, we we thanked him for his time and, and left. And In uh, second meeting we had, um, the the guys, uh, you know, they didn't understand that I spoke Russian because I never let on that I did. And they were they were calling him behind the scenes in Russian, a little boy. Mm. And uh, I just knew it was over when I heard that. So so yeah, that that was that was the reception we got from the Russians the first time they, you know, said hold my beer and they shot themselves in the foot with respect to space launch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, kidding. I'm sure they look back now and regret spitting on those shoes. I'm sure that that's, that runs through whoever's mind that was if they're still alive. And my, let me ask you one last question because, you know, I I would imagine millions of people wonder what's it like to work alongside of a guy like Elon. Um, so I've got to ask you that question. What's it like working like him and, and working alongside of Elon? And we'll move on to the next question.
3: Yeah, so, you know, I guess there's two sides to Elon. And uh, the good Elon and the bad Elon, that's the way I always termed it. And the good Elon's just an absolute pleasure to work with. He's bright. He's full of energy. You know, he's open-minded about new ideas. And anything's possible. And, and let me tell you what, to, to work with somebody like that is, is a rare pleasure in life. It truly is. And, you know, he has obviously back then less means than now, but still he had the means to do pretty much whatever he wanted to do. And, uh, you know, that, that part was easy. The bad Elon – uh, not sure really what triggers it, but he's just very very difficult. And you know, if if you're not a hundred percent, say 150 percent with what Elon wants to do, he's got no use for you. Mm. Uh, and that's probably one of his secrets to success. So I don't ever begrudge him these these things. Understand that I mean, I'm a great admirer of Elon, despite sure. you know the fact that we're all less than perfect one way or another. And uh, you know, he he works incessantly, and he expects everybody to work exactly at the same pace as him. You know, I can tell you that I wasn't the only recipient of phone calls at 3 in the morning where he'd say, what are you doing? I'd say, I'm sleeping. And he'd say, well, I'm at <laughs> the factory, and you should be here with me. And so, like, okay, well, give me a chance to get dressed. And yes, you know, and, and if he didn't agree with you, he wouldn't just, you know, ask you a question and say, Why do you, what do you think, this or that? He would, he would yell at you because he was certain you were wrong. So, and I can tell you, 99 times out of 100, Elon is right. You know, and, and I've been wrong with him more than I've been right. There's been a few times I've been right and he's wrong. And, you know, we got into some yelling matches. And, you know, I wasn't the only one that he yelled at. And uh, so, he's you know, he's, he's not a – he doesn't tolerate fools very well. And uh, so so anybody that's less than completely self-confident is going to melt in his presence. And it just takes a really, really strong sort of character to, uh, to you know, to work with him day and day. Gwen Shawwell. Uh, took over for me when I left, and she now pretty much runs SpaceX. But you know, she's a very strong-willed character, and uh, I don't think very many people could have done what she's done.
1: Mm. Well, I appreciate the insight, and I want to turn now into the conversation of, and really, that is not only your air of expertise, but it's it's one of the founding themes of your new book, Breaking All the Rules: The Inside Story of the Space Race. Having all the experience you've had, and and having this this incredible vision for the future. Jim, what is defining the space race today, in your opinion?
3: So, I think it's the economic promise of space, which uh, is sort of up there with, you know, this human. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's 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 in our DNA that we have to see what's around the next corner. Mm-hmm. So, when you combine those two things together, you, you get this explosive growth in. You see a lot of money, uh, commercial money, flowing into the into the space industry now, and it's only just beginning. It's 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 as if the bathtub uh, spigot's only started, and the bathtub's just you know an inch full. It, it's it's gonna it's gonna get bigger and bigger. It's gonna be one of the biggest economic enterprises mm. that humanity has seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I compare it with the, the new world, which we're all standing here in. Uh, you know, five hundred years ago, none of those people could see. Uh, what the new world would become, I mean, who would imagine, right? And the untold amount of value that's been created here. Space is the same way. So you get a lot of money chasing that economic promise. And you you get also the, you know, the exploratory DNA that was in all our ancestors and why they came here one way or another. So, so those two things together are just a really, really powerful force. And, um, you know, people that say, it's all about the money. It's not about, you know, they call it space tourism, but, you know, the adventure are wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a reason why Star Trek was so so damn popular back in the 60s. You know, even me as a kid, I watched it, you know, and, and dreamt of being James P. Kirk and, right. and commanding right. the Starship Enterprise. That's right. You know, the only disappointment of my adult life is I couldn't work on the space, Spaceship Enterprise.
1: You know, Jim, in our last couple of minutes here, and I, and I want to to get your thoughts on this, and we're going to pick it up after the break. But where do you see the space race heading 20 years from now? Curiosity is, was driving this engine. Uh, but where do you see, and economics too and profit, I get that, but it's curiosity, right? We always want to know what's around the corner. But where do you yeah. see the space race heading in the next uh, 20 years?
3: Yeah, so, you know, in the past, it's been a uh, government-dominated industry. It's been really a nation-state sort of thing because only nation states can afford to do it mm-hmm. and they did it okay but th- i would say poorly compared to how it could be or less efficiently so what we're going to see is an increase in the uh, efficiency of the way things are done and, and things are going to start to be done like colonizing mars and be done by commercial entities that that we've never uh, expected to see out of the government and the government will fall behind on this so In a way, it's kind of a libertarian future, right, that Mm -hmm. libertarians talk about. We don't need no stick in government. And, uh, you know, here we are. We're just going out and doing this. So you'll see, you know, settlement on Mars in the next 20 years. You'll see probably some settlement on the moon. You will see uh, things like uh, more and more uh, use of space in our everyday lives. You know, right now our cars aren't connected through space, but they will be pretty soon. You know, these electric cars will be using that. And uh, you'll see some of the first trillionaires, I think, made uh, on, on the space industry. So it'll, it'll become something that is part of our everyday life, even though it is already we don't realize it. But, uh, you know, the, the, the most visible part of that will be how humanity is taking steps out, into the, out of the solar system away from Earth.
1: You know, it's going to be an exciting time. And I am thankful that I will be around to see that because I am a space travel astronomy uh, freak. <laughs> So I'm happy that I will be here. I know you will also. When we come back after the break, I want to tackle what most people, the majority of people, 99.999% of most human beings don't understand, which are the logistical challenges of launching a rocket into space. It's fun to know about it, right? But let's get back. uh, Let's look at those challenges of how do you get a rocket into space when we come back after the break.
3: Business owners, do you feel like you're paying more than your fair share of taxes? Is
0: your tax preparer out of ideas? My name is Susan Bryant, CPA and Certified Tax Coach at the MB Group and proud corporate sponsor of the J Mamie Talk Show. Tune in during the month of September to hear my favorite tax tips that can keep some big dollars in your bank account. In the meantime, learn more about how we're changing our clients' financial futures at mbgcpa.com.
1: Are your sales lagging? Are you frustrated with your ability to effectively communicate the goodness of your product or service? Could your income greatly benefit from you getting better at selling? Hi, this is Jay Mamie, the host of the Jay Mamie Talk Show and the curator of the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. I want you to know that there are answers on how you can get better at the skill of selling. Go to my course, the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. Get the answers you need so you can experience the results you want. ThriveSalesMastery.com. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone. Having a fantastic conversation with the one and only Jim Cantrell. We're going to have a, chal- a chat now about the challenges uh, that it really takes in order to launch a rocket into space. Logistical challenges. Jim, you better than anyone knows the logistical challenges of that. But for the layman... What are those logistical challenges that most people don't understand are so uh, very apparent when you're launching a rocket into space?
3: Yeah, let me compare it to something that probably people are familiar with, not everybody obviously, but Formula One. You know, a rocket is a lot like a Formula One car and it's a very concentrated amount of power and it takes a very sort of specialized set of skills to make it work. You know, I could find a uh, – if somebody sent me a box of parts for an F1 car, you would probably find any neighborhood in America where a bunch of guys get together and assemble it, and then even fewer could make it run, and then less could actually make it run on a track, and then only maybe a few dozen people in the world could make it competitive in a Formula One race. Same is true of a rocket, and it's exactly that same analogy where you've got, you know, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of pounds of thrust. On this tiny little aluminum, fragile thing that's built to be lightweight, so it can put as much weight as it can into space, and uh, you've got flames belching out the back of it, and any little thing that goes wrong results in catastrophe, much like a Formula One car. One bolt comes loose, people lose their lives, and uh, so so you've got this sort of fault intolerant system that you have to uh, have to really deal with. So so every little thing matters. That's why you see like the nasa launch was delayed by a hydrogen leak you know Mm -hmm. that could be a very bad day a very small hydrogen leak cause a fire that fire burns something that takes a system down and so on so that's the first thing the second thing is is uh human safety so we launch these things at least in the u.s from the coastline because they are kind of dangerous if if the things go wrong and the last thing you want is a, a rocket coming back at you know somewhere in florida into a town so so the rain safety, you know, the, the, there's a lot of effort that's put into that to make sure that, that everything's going normal. If it doesn't, we've got a way to shut the thing off or blow it up or something like that. So, and then, then the third thing is making sure that whatever it is you're launching, whether it's people or, or a satellite or whatever, whatever payload, which is usually very expensive if it's not a human, uh, that you can't put a value on a human life. But uh, all these things are very, very important to make sure that they're transported uh, carefully, mm-hmm. that they're not – vibrated too much, that they're not exposed to too much heat and so mm. forth. So so it's, uh, you, know, you know, technologically not that complicated. Believe it or not, I know it's easy for me to say, but, you know, it's, it's probably less complicated than the car you drive every day, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but it's very fault intolerant, and and that's the major difference.
1: What about the, uh, the access of the planet? I, I understood that it, it, you have to factor in the the spinning of the planet, the axis of the planet, because mm-hmm. the way the the, the flight will the, the rocket will launch, if it's not uh, programmed properly, factoring those other variables, your rocket ship could end up somewhere nowhere, rather nowhere near close to the uh location it was supposed to. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah,
3: you know, yeah, orbital mechanics as they call it, mm-hmm. astrodynamics is it. It's, it's a very esoteric field that's mostly mathematical and, uh, you know, because you can't see it or smell it or touch it, right? right? But you should be told of it. You know, we lost a Mars probe years ago because the, the one team used the metric system. The other used the English system. And then wow. they figured this out when it flew right by Mars. <laughs> <laughs> missed it pretty closely, you know. It was it was amazingly close. But, uh, you know, the same is true with the rockets. You know, when we launch them, you know, the Earth is spinning. Right. And, that, depending on how we launch it, either helps us or hurts us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have to launch at a particular time often because, you know, if we're rendezvousing with something, then, you know, the timing of that is, 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 is uh, really critical. One of the things that Hollywood has done a disservice, in my mind, to the, the public mindset is when you see these space movies, you know, these guys can just tool around like they're on a freeway, turn it will, and, and that's not the reality when you're in space, there's so much energy involved in your motion that it takes an enormous amount of energy to change that direction. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it stands to reason when you think of it that way, but you know, it, it, it's not something that most things today are able to carry that kind of energy around. And that's one of the, probably the biggest, uh, the biggest arguments against UFOs when you start to see these things darting around all over the place, you know, it, 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 it's, it, just violates a lot of the laws of physics that you just say, well, unless they've got some, some energy source that we don't know about, Uh, you know, it's just, it's impractical from that point of view. So that's really what it comes down to is, is, you know, it's all geometry and it's all energy and uh, you have to be practically a math wizard to figure all that stuff out. I studied that in college, so it makes sense to me, but you know, it's, it's one of these things that that is like flying a plane. You either get it or you don't. And uh, so you leave that to the wizards that figure it out.
1: You know, I'm glad you brought up UFOs because we'll probably have a conversation about that later. I mean, how could you not have Jim Cantrell on the show and not talk about UFOs? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, if there's time, we're going to dive into that, brother. You opened up a can of worms. And I love the listen, that's a whole show we I could dedicate to because I love the topic. I've got my own thoughts on it. But yeah, with regards too. to scientists, I I know that there's unknown space travel challenges that still stumble scientists today. They're trying to figure out ways to do this that and the other to oh, yeah. you know increase the viability of space travel, you know, the, the stuff that we see in Hollywood. What what are those unknown space travel challenges that are still stumbling scientists today?
3: Well, we don't really know how to send something you know, in, into the cosmos to visit what we think are habitable planets. You know, in our neighborhood, which you know is 25, 50 light years away. And by 25 or 50 light years, that means you know, if you're a travel to the speed of light, it takes you that many years to get there. That's really a measurement of distance. And so, you know, we just don't have the energy mm. to to get things out there. I worked on something called the uh, light sail, which is a light powered uh, uh, spacecraft. So you can use photons which you get into physics don't have any weight but you can bounce them off of sails use sunlight or lasers and you can have this this source of energy back on earth you don't have to carry with you that's one way to do it but you hardly don't get there um, and it's in you know that technology's in its, its infancy so really there's there's a whole set of physics I think we're going to have to discover in order to be able to do interstellar travel mm-hmm. and that that's that's one of those areas that interests me personally greatly. Uh, because, you know, I, I referenced the uh, Starship Enterprise. Uh, I, I do believe that we probably don't understand, you know, as a species, the, the you know, probably less than 10 percent of what's possible in physics. You know, uh, you yeah, go back a 100 agree. years, you know, we couldn't conceive of nuclear weapons. We couldn't conceive of nuclear power. We couldn't conceive of space travel. Right. It was uh, some of these these esoteric mathematicians in the Middle Ages, you know, Newton and some of these other guys. That uh, Kepler that, that figured out how the the, the planets move, but not long before that, the Catholic Church was burning, uh, you know, certain people at the stake for saying that the Earth wasn't the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so we have obviously a lot of things as a human species to learn, and and it would be very arrogant of us to think that we know everything there is to know out there. And uh, so, you know, back to your topic of UFOs, yeah, I mean, you, you say that violates law of physics, but maybe there's Maybe there's other dimensions and things like that that mm-hmm. you know that we we simply don't know about, and it's 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 fascinating to think about, and I think that's one of the areas that Hollywood has done an interesting job of sort of opening our minds to the, the possibilities.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the the quickness of technology, you know, well, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, who would have ever imagined that you could open up a computer, a laptop, the small little thin yeah. uh, technolo- uh, piece of technology and and be able to have a face-to-face conversation with someone around the other, the other side of the planet, Amazing. right? 30 years yeah, ago, shrink. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah so, even 10 years ago. Right, 10 years ago, right. Forget 30 years ago, yeah. 10 years ago. So would you say that the... That one of the aspects of science that that has to be uh, that that a breakthrough is needed in order to really accelerate earthlings arriving at another planet uh, or the next level of space travel that breakthrough in science has to be how do you harness energy?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's all about energy and uh, you know th- there's a play between mass and energy if you understand you know the theory of relativity and why nuclear power works and so forth. So we don't completely, as as a matter of science, understand that trans transfer of energy and mass back together. In in reality, I, you know, I'm sitting here in a in a building and looking at walls that are really just different manifestations of energy, right? Mm-hmm. And I can knock my hand against it and so forth, but it's a different version of than what I might feel with my hands next to a campfire, and uh, so so it is all about energy ultimately. And as we believe from from our scientific teachings that energy can't be created or destroyed it just changes form so so that's where the secret lies is in, is understanding all of that movement of energy between various uh, sort of manifestations
1: yeah and our last couple of minutes here before we go to break and we're going to have you back for another segment here uh, because there's a lot more I want to unwrap with uh, with you and, and I think our audience wants to learn more about this but what would you say? are the lessons that you've learned in how to be that lessons that not only you can learn in the scientific world uh, from a scientific standpoint but but that anyone could apply to uh, can apply rather to so the complexities of an uncharted challenge what from a scientific standpoint what lessons can anyone learn about how to begin to solve the complexities of an uncharted challenge
3: yeah that's a great question you know I, one of the things i found just in general in life, but it really applies here too, is to be, be ready to be lucky, to be prepared to be lucky. Mm. And uh, some people will come across a lucky situation and they wouldn't recognize luck if it flew right under their nose, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fortunate situation. So I don't care if you're racing cars, whether you're you're doing scientific discovery, engineering, or, you know, even, uh, even just regular business dealings or, or a regular job, you know, if you recognize luck and you take advantage of it, that's really where sort of these breakthroughs seem to happen they don't they don't seem to happen necessarily as a result of intense hard work but the preparation is a result of intense hard work and then that that magic of seeing that opportunity that serendipity of presenting itself at the same time that you're prepared for it is where great breakthroughs happen and that's that's probably you know from from my point of view the the, the biggest uh challenge the biggest sort of solution on this. And and I've seen it over and over and over in my own life.
1: When we come back after the break, uh, Jim, I want to dive into in our last segment with you, uh, the, the global experiences that you've had, you've dealt with people from all walks of life, all different uh, governmental agencies, scientific agencies. And I want to learn about what that life experience has taught you about the need for us to work together And I think that's important. We're going to pick it up after the break. In Texas, we love our sports. And Parker University's Sports and Performance Clinic helps athletes of all skill levels recover from injury and advance their function and performance. Our collaborative and integrated team of doctors and specialists provides patient-centered service, taking athletes through each phase of recovery and return to sport training. This is athletic performance at its best. Visit us online at parkerstrength.com. If you or someone you know ever had a grandparent or parent who didn't age well, maybe they ended up with dementia or Alzheimer's or suffered through another disease that robbed them of quality of time with their family. It doesn't have to be this way. We all have the capability to age better and increase our health span. My name is Deepak Saini and I coach men and women like you to optimize your health so you can stay young and vibrant into your seventies, eighties and beyond. Contact me at DeepakCityHealth.com to learn more and let me know you heard me on the Jay Mimi Show for a bonus gift. Welcome back to the Jay Mimi Talk Show with your host, Jay Mimi. Welcome back, everyone, in our final segment with Jim Cantrell. We're going to dive into his experiences of working and dealing with people from all walks of life all scientific agencies governmental agencies for for decades and Jim I'd like to ask you considering there's competitiveness there's uh, you know governmental secrecy there's just the bragging rights of of countries wanting to be the first one to claim they've done something before anyone else has I get all that but why is there such a need for everyone to come together and work collectively for the good of mankind
3: yeah so i'm going to give you the libertarian version of this which is that you know we are all individuals with uh being responsible for our own selves and our own behavior but we're, we form a part of a larger thing we call the human species and in order for us to survive history has taught us that we have to work in 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 the same direction more or less and uh, in order to uh you know create a uh species that is strong and capable of uh, doing all the things that are going out in the cosmos, we really need to have the uh, uh, the, the uh, I, you know, collective uh, capability of mankind to do that. And, you know, while while we're all competitive, as you say, there are ways that we can do these things and not impinge on each other and uh, allow each other to, to do our own individual parts of it and uh, so that's 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 my way of saying we're all not that different but mm-hmm. you know we're all individual.
1: So what would you say then is your up to this point there's many more years to come for jim but up to this point with all of the experiences you've had in your life this incredible life resume what's been your most memorable experience so far?
3: Well, you know the first time I uh, launched something into space was probably the most memorable thing and uh, that was that was the Skipper spacecraft back in 1996, mm-hmm. and to see your your creation take off from uh, from from the surface of the Earth and go on this pillar of fire is is a is a high that you can't quite describe to somebody who hasn't felt it before. It's it's up there with having a child uh, or witnessing your in my case witnessing a child being born, and uh, it, it's uh, it's it's another form of a child. So that. That is by far mm. one of the most memorable parts of my career.
1: And you've now recently launched a new company, Phantom Space. So here you will go again, coming up with something new and valuable. <laughs> what makes this initiative so different from your previous work?
3: Well, I want to do something that actually changes the way space commerce is being done. Uh, up till now, really, it's been too infrequent. And, uh, you know, when people clap every time a rocket goes off, that tells you something about, you know, the expectation of reliability there. We want to become the Henry Ford of space mm. to make uh, space commerce and space launch commonplace. So we're, we're attacking the entire market from the launch vehicles that put the satellites up there to the satellites themselves. And uh, we, we aim to really be sort of the, the SpaceX of the 21st century that uh, follows in the footsteps of that great company.
1: Well, I know you have great plans. You and I had a chance to chat about that. And I, I think that the uh, the best is yet to come for Jim Cantrell and, and the creative genius Thank that you. you are. And one of the best of yet to come is your book, Breaking All the Rules, The Inside Story of the Space Race. What inspired you to write this book?
3: So two things. One, I kept, you know, having to tell people the same story over and over about various interesting things that have happened. And I realized that You know, I've been sort of the Forrest Gump of the space industry, and I've been from, you know, the 80s when it was nation-state dominated to today where it's this sort of Wild West economy. And there's a small number of people that actually made that happen that were catalysts in it. And I wanted to tell that story of the things I saw. And then the second part I wanted to, to get across to people is that, you know, it doesn't matter what part of walk of life you come from. You know, these are the things you can do with your life. I want this to be inspiring Mm. to the youth. And uh, I needed this greatly Mm. when I was young, this kind of inspiration. Mm -hmm. And hopefully this can spark in some people that might read it to say, hey, you know, even though I may be, you know, living poor in a city or, you know, out on a farm or whatever, but uh, I too can, can become part of this great enterprise of humanity.
1: Well, Jim, the book is uh, a fantastic read. Uh, I can attest to that. We're going to put the book up at our website so that individuals can find it, track it down, learn your life history in and, and the way that you think. We're going to have to have you back again in the future because we still didn't have time to get into UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, touchy subjects. That's right. And we'll need a whole hour for that one. Jim Cantrell has been awesome having you on the program, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Folks, that wraps up another fantastic episode of the Jay Mamie Talk Show, bringing you thrive-minded value yet again. Until next week, keep thriving.